0: Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show, episode 269. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of a Marvel Studios special presentation, Werewolf by Night, directed by Michael Giacchino, teleplay by Heather Quinn and Peter Cameron, story by Heather Quinn. Werewolf by Night is a Kevin Feige production. Before we begin our spoiler review, wanna let you know once again about Fan Show Plus, that is the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus, you can find it there and subscribe so you can hear us talk about extra MCU topics like Harrison Ford joining the MCU and also some things outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which we have coming up with our Andor mid-season spoiler review slash breakdown. So check that out. Over on FanShow Plus. Also, make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who has already taken the time to leave their review. And now, on with our show.
1: How you doing, Paul Herman? Uh, it's been an eventful morning for me, but I'm glad I'm here. I'm, I've been waiting to talk about this special, so uh, I am I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm jazz, jazz, jazz. You could say.
0: I am very excited to finally be talking about this. Thank you, everyone, for your patience in waiting for this Werewolf by Night spoiler review. We were a little busy finishing up the first, what we hope is just the first season of many, or at least a few uh, seasons of She-Hulk: Attorney at Law. But now we have the time here to go ahead and talk about Werewolf by Night, and I am so excited to dive into it. And also, I kind of like that because of the way the schedule had to work out for us, now we get to allow this to be a featured thing here. It's not just thrown in alongside a She-Hulk review. Werewolf by Night gets its own week all to itself right here on MCU Fan Show. And I'm very happy about that because I am very, very happy, Paul, with this Marvel Studios Special presentation. We heard about this a while ago via reports in the trades and stuff like that, and we knew that this was coming, but Marvel didn't say a word about it until just a few weeks before it launched when they were at D23 Expo. That was when they announced that this was going to come out back on uh, October 7th, is when it premiered on Disney. And I loved that approach. I also just loved the idea of a Marvel Studios special presentation and allow, and then the, when we saw the trailer for this, the format of this to really be true to classic monster movies and that sort of thing, and I was very excited that something like that could exist within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not just for this special presentation, as wonderful as it is, but also it just opens up so many other types of things and types of stories for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So the idea of this is great, and then the actual execution for this specific Marvel Studios special presentation, Werewolf by Night, I thought was was really excellent. I don't know where this lands on my Marvel Studios Disney Plus things, but it's, it's up there for amongst my favorite things we've seen this year, especially for the, the stuff from Marvel Studios that is exclusive to Disney Plus. I really enjoyed Werewolf by Night for all of the reasons we're about to discuss.
1: Yeah, I, I really have a lot to say about this, to be honest, and I, I'm going to try to uh, just wait and kind of let it all out uh, gradually as we break down the episode or, or special, I should say. Um, I was very skeptical when I first heard about this. Where, and I'll kind of get into my history with Werewolf by Night in a little bit here, but I to be to kind of start off. I I don't really have much. I didn't have much knowledge of the series of the character before the the, uh, the the special because when I grew up, uh, I I the these characters were pretty much like I, I see these characters like uh, uh, Jack Russell himself uh, and his whole you know mythology that he has, and I, I, I put Dracula in that the whole horror aesthetic that the 70s were really heavily you know Marvel really kind of used a lot in back in that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not familiar with, the, with those comic books, and they never really interest, interested in me. Uh, I loved Universal Monsters and monster movies, Yep. But I, ne- but I never wanted to read the comics. The comics just felt like a way for them to be like, oh, here's our werewolf, and I'm like, I don't care about That's that. That's exactly I,
0: how I always felt about yeah. Werewolf by Night, is it was always just like, well, I mean, Blade was different because with vampires and Dracula and all of that, because Blade, yeah. the character, was much more specific to its own thing and had its own application within Marvel comic books. But Werewolf by Night... Yeah, it never really, I mean, I was obviously aware of it and would read a a thing here or there if the character popped up, but not really, I couldn't call myself a devoted fan or or reader of Werewolf by Night for 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 exactly that reason. It's like, I love classic monsters and and werewolves are actually my favorite of the classic monsters and universal monsters. All of that stuff is, is really great, but I get that in so many other places that I never felt like I needed it. From Marvel, and that's why I didn't go. That's why I didn't lean that direction in my comic book reading.
1: Yeah, and so it's funny because over the years now, I've learned that both series are beloved, and they have their own cult, you know, followings. And I remember thinking, well, because they're monster films. Well, actually. I, to much to my surprise, it's for a number of different reasons. Uh, I actually went back and started after watching the special, started reading the the uh, comic books, which I can't wait to break in and use that to as we break down this this special. And I was actually, to be honest, Sean, sh- sh- shocked to see how much I liked it. it. It was actually pretty. It's really well written by three legendary writers uh basically you know handing the baton to each other Jerry Conway Len ween then Marv Wolfman and Marv Wolfman is the same person that you know he also did uh, Tomb of Dracula where you know him and Gene Colan had a huge run on that on that comic book that is a beloved series for Marvel and I totally see why now um so going into it I didn't have any of that and so I didn't really know wh- where this was going and I just didn't—I didn't have like an interest level besides, oh, it's Marvel. I'm, I'm interested. It's cool. It's, and they're growing. They're expanding themselves, and that was what I was more excited about because I love the, I like uh, a lot of the horror aspects of the Marvel universe. I'm a huge Ghostwriter fan, but I don't, I don't, I'm not a big horror guy myself in general. But I like some of the characters and the mythology that Marvel has, you know, the 616 universe that they've given us. So hearing this get i I wasn't really excited and they've kind of held it close to the vest for a long time until we got the trailer as
0: close to the vest as anything anything, marvel's ever done to just be like oh yeah this is coming out in about four weeks
1: which is awesome and i think and that's the thing about it it really kind of smacked me in the face saw the trailer i didn't even see man thing at first i i I just it's kind of went by once and went whoa that's that's crazy they're going this direction And then I saw still went, man, things in this. Oh, my God. So, I mean, there's so much that I was just like, okay I'm excited. It happens in four weeks. And there's something to this, Sean. I really do. I think there's a lot we're going to talk about here in a second. I'll end with this as we begin. I'll end as we begin. I I liked how they put this out because it hit us. It kind of smacked all of us in the face and went, oh, okay. It comes out in a few weeks. Sweet. And then we're anticipating it. And then it happened. And it felt like a very, it felt perfectly how they released it. Because I don't know if you want to kind of show the trailer, get us excited for it, and then kind of forget about it. This was like, here's a trailer. Guess what? It comes out in a few weeks. Oh, hell yeah. And then you watch it and like, oh my God, that's perfect. It felt very uh, strategic in the best way possible. And I almost endorse more surprises like this because it just—I don't know, I, I, I think the time. Maybe this may be my own opinion. I'm sorry, maybe I'm, I'm alone on this. I'm curious your thoughts, but it feels like the strategy of how they release this release this helped. I think, the anticipation and helped, I think, viewership, in my opinion. I I think
0: what it it really helped with is it removed a lot of it removed any burden of expectation. And that sounds like faint praise. That sounds like a really backhanded compliment because it's like, oh, well, that's why everybody likes it so much is nobody had any time to expect anything from it. But that's not really the point there. Like the point when I say it's unburdened with expectations, it's more of the expectations as driven by speculation and all of these things. Like sometimes we have. We know about these things so far in advance that we collectively as fans, we spend so much time, whether we're talking about it, tweeting about it, or just thinking about it in our own heads, whether we share those thoughts or not, we're all dreaming up all of these scenarios of what we think it could mean and what we think it's going to do to the larger landscape of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and and all of those types of things. And look, that's part of the fun. So I'm not knocking that. like I like it, and I'm not saying that Marvel should never announce anything until four weeks before it's going to come out. I obviously know that's not realistic for most of the things that they do, but for something like this, it is possible, and it is very helpful to just have a very straightforward, this is what it is, and watch it for what it is, and hopefully enjoy it for what it is, and not necessarily comparing it in your head to what you thought it was supposed to mean in the, the, the broader Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of those things. Like, we can just be very straightforward. And also, you don't necessarily have to think of it, what they presented is exactly what they delivered. This this show was exactly what the trailer promised. In that, And it's not to say there weren't surprises and things like that, but it's not like they were promising some big superhero story and then they gave you more of a, a classic mon- mini monster movie or something like that they gave, they were presenting the classic mini monster movie and that's what they gave you and it worked so incredibly well because it was very well written, very well directed and just superbly acted across the board. I know most of the cast is just smaller role players, but they do a great job in the little thing in the little parts that they have. And then of course you have, you know, your three main leads here with Gael Garcia Bernal as Jack Russell, Laura Donnelly as Elsa Bloodstone, Harriet Sansom Harris as Verusa and that's largely what's carrying your story and all three of those actors are just stunning in this and you know Harriet Sansom Harris like obviously you're going to talk a a lot about uh, Bernal and you're gonna talk about Donnelly but Harriet Sansom Harris like as an antagonist in this was so good and I mean she's been good in you know a lot of stuff over the years but um, and I was very happy to see her in the trailer for Werewolf by Night, because I figured she would really add something to this. Uh, and she totally did. She was excellent, but I'm, I'm getting too specific here with the performances already. But uh, I, I do think that the shorter time frame and just dropping this uh, and, and even some of like, the, I don't know, the fan uh, entitlement or whatever, where we always think we're about to see the biggest thing ever or whatever the case may be. Like it was just, it felt like something extra But at the same time, it didn't feel like when you watch it, it doesn't feel extra and frivolous in that way. Like, it really feels like a worthwhile story that was being told and got to be told on its own terms in this really cool and and interesting way that harkens back to, you know, it plays on the nostalgia of anyone who does like classic monster movies and and grew up watching them. And uh, also for somebody who maybe didn't watch those types of movies and things like that. It's still kind mm-hmm. of a cool throwback that maybe gets you more interested to exactly. go back and watch those types mm-hmm. of things. And, and, you know, the last thing I, I would say here is just going back to the comics for a second. You know, I, I would say these are the re when I list the reasons why I didn't reach out in the comic books, like that's basically me explaining a my bad. Like I should have been reading those and I shouldn't have been dismissive sure. of those um, because yeah, I, I'm not surprised. And I do need to go back now and check those out. That's just why I didn't, fa- you know, the reasons I didn't favor them as a kid growing up reading Marvel comic books are not necessarily, you know, that that's no knock on any of those books or anything like that. Now I know that there's plenty more to to go back to and and explore. But this special, as just coming in under an hour, I- I'm so excited about this because this to me, like, as soon as they announced Disney Plus and obviously Marvel Studios being part of it. I was dreaming up, like, could this bring us uh, the return of the Marvel one-shots? And this is kind of what that was, except obviously this is much bigger than a one-shot. This is, you know, almost a a full hour with this story. And so if we can get these Marvel Studios special presentations, and I kind of feel like the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special will also be a Marvel Studios special presentation. So if we can get one or two of these a year on a regular basis, and now I know with the Guardians holiday special, they obviously announced it Years ago, but going forward, I would love to just see these drop. And yeah, we don't get uh, we don't get a lot of notice in advance because I do think it just changes the way it, it changes the pace on how we experience these things and our life cycle with them as fans. Um, and and I think that it doesn't need to be this. It doesn't need to be what Marvel Studios always does, but for these special presentations, I think it could work very nicely. And it certainly did here.
1: Yeah, I, I think the series. The one thing this this special kind of uh, really shows us is that. In, I know there was, I saw like there's some rumors or that maybe Marvel's maybe going more this route, and I'm not sure how much validity that there is to that. And I don't know if abandoning TV series, you know, a, an actual like si, si, uh, TV series like She Hulk or Miss Marvel is a, a great idea either. I just think you really need to ad- uh, assess and address and see what the stories need a TV series and what series or what uh, stories and what characters might need a special, a couple different specials a year. We're, you know, on the Patreon uh, fan show, we're going to be doing uh, uh, Andor, and I have a lot to say about that, but kind of it kind of connects with this, Sean. I think what Werewolf by Night does, it really does open up. So much, I think, story wise, that for the MCU, but not just that with the characters, which we'll get, we'll get to that in, in a second. But I think, I think from a more of a production standpoint, this shows you the advantage of doing a very shortened film idea, having the surprise of announcing things, and also just not having to shoehorn. Uh, you know eight episodes in, in uh, elongate things that you don't really need to do and I, I i i think and i've been really hard on moon knight and the reason i'm hard on moon knight is because he's my favorite character he's one of my favorite characters in the in, in marvel comics i freaking love moon knight and i and there's parts of the moon knight series that are amazing there's, but it didn't feel it didn't feel connected to me as far as it didn't feel right as a tv series it just felt kind of off to me and it's not it wasn't terrible it just i don't know and it makes me think that after watching werewolf by night maybe and and now watching Andor, to be quite honest we'll get that on the show plus side it definitely feels that maybe moon knight works better as a special presentation opposed to a tv series and maybe you a couple special presentations of moon Knight a year or something like that i don't know but it feels like certain characters like miss marvel fits perfectly for a tv series i think um she-hulk worked perfectly as a series um, I don't know if Moon Knight does, and I think Werewolf by Night shows you the advantages of having a quick, concise, tight story that's fun. Or I say fun because Moon Knight wasn't always fun, right? It's dramatic. It was more dramatic and very emotional at all, uh, most of the time. But that being said, I think there's something there to, to do. We don't have to put things in a theater. You can have it be a little bit smaller like a Werewolf by Night or keep it more concise and compact or you can have those special – presentations and maybe do one or two a year of, of that character. So people can kind of, you know, anticipate and live with that character a little bit and not feel like we're getting kind of like, well, where's moon Knight, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, it, 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 fe- it feels like this opens up the world for different characters and we're not going to, going to get t- TV series for the sake of getting TV series. It gives you a lot more to work with and not having to shoehorn things in there just to have content. Now, People are have embraced the special. Let's I think they've embraced it. I think Marvel's gonna embrace it too. I'm looking forward to see what they do with it going forward.
0: Yeah, and I do think that for something like Moon Knight, I mean, I think there's also the option of you just because you've done something as a series before, doesn't mean you have to do season two. Like, and I do think Moon Knight still well, look, I liked Moon Knight. Was it perfect? No, and we had some criticisms of it in our spoiler reviews, but overall I really liked it. And I think it did a lot of, it gave a lot of story that you needed and a lot of explanation and everything like that and character work. But now that you've done that, now that you've established that foundation, yeah, Moon Knight could be in special presentations going forward. But I I think as far as Marvel Studios and long-term plans, like, yeah, I've seen some of the stuff of they're going to go more in this direction than the series. I don't necessarily think that's true because the series still hold extraordinary value for Disney Plus, right? They just do. Like, the business of these things does come into it. And a lot of the series, or the series thus far, have been worthwhile and very good overall. And it helps Disney Plus when you're drawing the audience in for six to nine weeks as opposed to just one and done with a special. So I I think what, if you're Marvel Studios, it's just another thing that you have. It's another creative, you know, weapon in your storytelling arsenal that you can have movies for the big screen, series for Disney Plus, but then also, these one-off special presentations that don't necessarily have to be one-offs. I mean, you could do Werewolf by Night Part 2 next year and and everything. Like, So you have all of these different ways that you can tell stories to the audience. And the more ways you have to communicate with the audience and engage the audience, the better. And it gives every story the space to be whatever it should be, whatever is going to best be in, in best service of that overall story. but um, now let's let's move away from being so general here. Let's get into uh, let's get into this story. And the setting of this story is is interesting because I, I think when I saw the initial presentation of it in the trailer, I thought, oh well this must be a story that takes place like in the time period where you would see a movie like this, 1930s, 1940s. No, it's it's not super clear exactly when this takes place, but we know it's relatively modern. The narrator is showing the original six Avengers, although that doesn't necessarily establish a timeline because it's more like the narrator is going back and telling you a story. But when we do see the the tombs later for the Bloodstone family, uh, there at one point, there is a grave that's marked with somebody who passed away in 1988. So we are semi-modern here. Um, at the very least, uh, when we pick up uh, this story. But what has happened? Well, the Bloodstone family, led by Ulysses Bloodstone, they've got this tradition of hunting monsters, but now the patriarch Ulysses Bloodstone has passed away, and so the relic that Ulysses used to kill monsters must be passed down to someone else, but because of an estranged relationship with his daughter Elsa Bloodstone, which we will get to throughout this, uh, this special presentation... Uh, Because of that uh, that strained relationship, the Bloodstone is up for grabs, and so we have a number of hunters there who are there to pay their respects to Ulysses, but then they are also there to go on a hunt, and whoever successfully hunts the monster will be the winner of the Bloodstone, the new keeper of the Bloodstone, and so it is Elsa's stepmother— and Ulysses' wife slash now widow, Verusa, who is kind of the master of ceremonies here running the show. Although to take nothing away from the butler, uh, who was outstanding in this, <laughs> was very much in the the vein of, uh, of classic monster storytelling. But we have some other uh, hunters here. Uh, Jovan, played by Kirk R. Thatcher, who's really, really great. He's the guy with uh, the Scottish guy with the 57 kills. Uh, Azrael, played by Eugenie uh, Bondurant. That's the one who kind of looks a lot like David Bowie uh, in this story. Uh, Leonardo Lam- Nam plays Leorn. Uh, Daniel J. Watts plays Barrasso. And those are our hunters, in addition to Elsa, played by Laura Donnelly. And the one that we enter this setting with, that is Jack Russell, as played by Gael Garcia Bernal. And this whole setup for this and this whole introduction... I love this so much, Paul, because it was just so creepy and cool and fun. And you've got all these monster heads on the wall. You've got like an abominable snowman. you got a a giant bat that might have been a Dracula. You've got, or the Dracula, although I kind of feel like that's more Blade territory. But we'll see uh, how all of that factors in. There's like a Sasquatch-looking guy. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff here in, uh, in this whole initial setup. And I think it does a really good job because it doesn't have a ton of time but it just does a good job Mm -hmm. instantly of providing atmosphere and even these characters who in some ways kind of feel very one note because they are intentionally designed as such because look you're not going to have the time to go in depth and you're not they're not going to live long enough for you to go in depth with these characters but I still feel like uh even for these side characters like the other hunters especially uh Jovan like they just did a a really good job in that introduction and and I really like seeing uh Gael Garcia Bernal as Jack Russell, because he's really doing such a great job of just entering this and just surveying all of it. And, you know, when he's talking about uh, when Jovan points out, you know, the makeup on his face, like he's saying it's to honor his ancestors. And for Gael Garcia Bernal, like that's, you know, that's sugar skull makeup, Calavera makeup, like that, that's, you know, Day of the Dead, Dia de Muertos sort of style of makeup that he has. And I love the double meaning of that. Like, he's honoring his ancestors, and so I don't think he's just, like, yes, he's honoring his actual family, his blood family, and all, and all of that, but I think he's also honoring those monsters who are in there. Like, those are more people that he knows that he has things in common with. Those are, whether that's people, monsters he actually knew, or someone he just feels these, this kinship with, because he understands the, the sadness of it, the tragedy of it, and, and has empathy for these heads that have been, you know, for the actual individuals that are now just heads mounted on a wall. And so that kind of double meaning as he goes into it, like it just, you know, he's the werewolf. Like, so you know what he's going to turn into. It's not a shock when that happens at the end of the show. So like, it's easier, like from the jump, to really get into how complex this moment is for this character. And and of course, the, the acting is just superb in all of that. And, and mm-hmm. I love that whole intro, because I think... One of the great, one of the best things about classic monster storytelling is the there's the underlying tragedy for the monster. It's not just oh, it's scary for the people who might be attacked by the monster and want to kill the monster, whatever. It is the underlying sadness of the monster themselves because you know it's not necessarily any will to do harm. There's just some curse that uh, somebody may have, as of course Jack Russell is with being a werewolf. So getting into all of that rich emotional complexity. And doing, I think they're doing a lot with very little because I think Michael Giacchino as a director does a good job of just allowing Jack Russell to absorb all of this and in the process we get to as an audience. And it's very quiet. It's very subdued, but it works very well.
1: This intro is so, so good. The narrator, because you're calling back to, like you said, the old monster movies. It's it's kind of introduces things very well. And it's, it's combining so many different things. It's getting you caught up that is in this universe, but also it, it, it very, very, I think cleverly, Sean shows us that these monsters have been around for a while and that they have existed in this universe. And that's what, and I, I love, I love that because, you know, I go back to the beginning of the MCU, superheroes haven't really been born yet, or they've been very much on the low key, you know, down low, whatever. Right. And monsters are definitely there, too. And you're, you're, we're seeing the fact that this is not just a birth of, like, monsters are here. We all know the Bloodstone's there, but, like, you're establishing with this, like, hey, like, these, this has been going on a while. It's brilliant how they've done it. And you set that up and, like, okay, cool. Like, you already accept that, like, anything is possible in this episode, which is really, I think, really well done and, and perfect. And and with, with all the different, uh, and, you know, and or drawings and things like that that introduced that it was really cool. Um, one of the things I I was not expecting was just how, and we see them in the trailers, but all the, the, the characters that are there, um, it's interesting because they, they all look incredible. They all look like they're straight up, just like, color. they're colorful, even though it's black and white, there's so much you can tell through just what, how they all look. And they're all interesting looking. I look at like, and this is not a fair comparison, But when I look at something like a movie I really like called Predators, right? They're all just like, just very general, like mercenary people. And, and and that's how a lot of, I think not just that kind of film, but like a lot of films treat their characters. It's like they have, you know, there's some, there's some color here or there as far as like, you know, some funness or, you know, make them look, make them look interesting. But there's not a lot of that. This does not go that way at all. In fact, they embrace that comic. I always say that comic book aesthetic, it's not really a, a good uh, description, but it's well, basically these Peters, they're so like just out there and, and unique and they're just, they're not just mercenary people with like, camouflage and, and mach- machetes and machine guns, which very easily could be the lazy way to do it. And like, or wearing all black. No, it's like, they're just, they're so unique in everything they do. They look like such unique characters. They look, they are straight up from a comic book. There's so much uh, detail in what they look like. I really appreciate that because a lazy way to me would be like, let's just make them not look interesting. But no, they they all look, they all fascinate me. Honestly, they all do. And I kept thinking like, are these all people in like the series that I've never read? Are these all there? I don't, I think they're all made up for the, for the show, but, or whatever. But Jovan, I mean like the, the little bit that he's there. um, And the one that looks like David Bowie, I forgot what that, that character's name hey, was. I love, love them. They were awesome. I'm like, let's, let's get, let's get, I want to know more about them. I mean, all that stuff. There's so much great stuff in this that I, I loved. And I, I was immediately just entranced by besides, you know, Jack Russell, he looked interesting too. I mean, I have, I had no idea what Jack Russell's character was besides his name is Jack Russell. And yeah, I just kept, Jack l- Russell, you
0: know, but not a terrier,
1: not a terrier, you know, but the thing was, like, they're all they all look so fascinating, and interesting. And, and obviously, Lisa a bloodstone when she shows I mean, up. But I that mean, is
0: like a classic comic book hero ex- name is to take the werewolf, take the werewolf character and give him the the alter ego, Jack
1: Russell. I mean, it, it, and that's and I know and oh, I it works. That. I love it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it works perfectly. It just I love the, the introduction. It, I don't want it really does set up, I think, the entire film as a whole really, really well. It, it really sh- it gets you ready for anything. And there, I just, I, I really appreciate the 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 character design that they've put a lot of attention into. And I, I just want, I praise them for it because I think the lazy way, the cheap way would be like, make them look, just give them generic things, whatever. But no, they went the other way, which was, let's make everyone really unique and have fun with this and make them have some, like, have their costumes basically tell their character and not just be plain, you know, plain people. It's like, I really appreciate that. And I loved everything about this introduction.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was really outstanding. And and I think that there's just so many interesting things like going on in this. Like there's as he's looking at like the artwork on the wall, like one of those things actually looks like Gore, the God Butcher from the comic books that uh, there's like a a painting of of a battle with a monster that kind of looks like Gore, although that's not that's more comic book gore than, of course, the Christian Bale version That people saw in uh, in Thor: Love and Thunder this year, so I don't think that's the point of that is to say that that's Gore the God Butcher. Maybe they just like the design. Um, There's a lot of things uh, with this where I I think it just does tone setting is such uh, is such a strong thing that's being established there, and and I think the way it just kind of welcomes you right into the story. That's also why I like the narration. Like, uh, I love just getting the setup and we throw you in, and, and here's what we're dealing with, and. And as Jack Russell is taking all of this in, we also meet uh, Elsa Bloodstone, who's there and, and of course having this interaction with her stepmother, Verusa, and her stepmother of course talking about what a disappointment she is and, and all of that, and she, basically she's forfeit her birthright, so she gets to compete for the Bloodstone like anybody else, but that's it, instead of just it being handed to her like it ordinarily would have been. And we have no idea if that was actually Ulysses' wish. Like, we do not know. Like, this is obviously a game that Verusa has... uh, Well, Ulysses seems to have been on board with it, at least via his recorded message, uh, with his animated dead body as the coffin opens up. And that's where I just love the butler. As he's cranking open the coffin, the faces that he makes are just classic. Like, it is super over-the-top and cheesy, but very welcome uh, in something like this. And, And I just... I absolutely loved it and i thought it was funny and and look and i I loved when ulysses lays out the game the whole i'll be rotting for you pun all of those things like this was this was just good like halloween spooky fun like this really is a halloween special as released in october like it's totally meant to be all of those things and like and it just works like this feels as i'm watching this like i just keep thinking in my head like i can't wait to be watching this every year in october like I got my Iron Man three Christmas rewatch as an annual thing. Uh, I'm also going to be adding Hawkeye to that mix. But I, I love being ha- having some MCU things that sync up with holidays, and WandaVision kind of lends itself to Halloween, especially the Spooktacular. Um, but this is very directly in that Halloween space for Marvel, and I just I think it did such a great job of of leaning into it, and and I think just paying homage, like clearly Michael Giacchino loves classic monster movies and he gets classic monster movies not that he wouldn't and i think the way he communicates that through this lens with marvel and the mcu and there are actual marvel characters like werewolf by night that lend themselves to that it's just this perfect marriage that that comes across here and and i just i love how simple and straightforward the storytelling is to just kind of allow allow the actors to kind of live in the emotion because it's it's very complex in the experience for Jack Russell and Ilsa or Ilsa Bloodstone for different reasons. But I think because the story is is fairly simplified and, and straightforward, like it just kind of allows the emotional complexity to shine. And I think that it does so there is this sadness from Ilsa Bloodstone, because you can tell like with Laura Donnelly Laura Donnelly's performance, there is a love of there is a, a love of her father, a sense of loss that's there, but there's also this contempt for her stepmother. And you, it's not hard to put two and two together and figure that maybe the stepmother, Verusa, had a lot to do with that relationship between Elsa and her father, Ulysses, uh, being strained to the point where Elsa had gone away, uh, and, and is in this circumstance right now. And then even just the way Verusa like is just kind of gross and grosses Ilsa out clearly when she's talking about the kind of lover that Ulysses was, it, it had everything. like it had the emotion, it had the drama, and yeah, it even had some quirky, awkward, uh, <laughs> awkward humor throughout this that just uh, that just made it work. And this is all happening before we even get to the hunt. But now, with that in mind, the terms of the hunt are fairly straightforward. The blood, there's a monster that's going to be let loose on those sacred grounds, and we have, uh, the bloodstone will be affixed, as Varusa explains, going to be affixed to the monster to weaken it, but then also make it angry. Whoever slays the monster gets to be the new keeper of the bloodstone, but this is a competition, so these hunters, not only will they be hunting a monster, they'll be hunting each other, uh, because it's every hunter for themselves, because, hey, the odds of you being the winner go up if you take out some of the competition. So that is part of it as well. And Verusa is clear to mention that Elsa is fair game, meaning the hunters can take her out just as fa- just as fairly, just as easily as uh, any of the other hunters uh, who are there. So that setup for the game and all of that, it's done very well. It's very efficient in the storytelling to make sure us as the audience, we understand the terms. But I also think the fact that they lean into all of that, they lean into everybody questioning Elsa's right, except for Jack, everybody questioning Elsa's right to be there. But also it tips the hand of why Verusa probably wanted this is like, yeah, she doesn't think that Elsa's is going to measure up to these other hunters. And basically it's a setup for the stepdaughter she never liked anyway, to be killed violently uh, in this whole circumstance. So a lot's being communicated in fairly simple straightforward uh, storytelling and it just it, it ups the drama behind all of it. And again, the, the performances really are carrying this. And so it's a credit to the actors, but also Michael Giacchino as a director, having the trust in the actors to kind of pull back, not over explain everything, allow the story to be presented in simple terms and just let the actors carry it uh, with the emotions that they give to these characters. And so all of this setup up before we even get into the hunt itself, I think it's just it's really, really well done. Like it it is terrific storytelling.
1: Yeah. Elsa Bloodstone is a really unique character that I she she had a really brief introduction in the early 2000s, a very terrible one from I never read the comic. I'm I'm not sure if, if I'm ever going to read it, but. I did read her in Warren Ellis's and Stewart. Um, oh, what's his last name? Uh, I forgot his last, what, what his name was. Uh, really good artist, though. Um, uh, but they have a Next Wave series, which you have Monica Rambeau in, um, who obviously is very prevalent uh, in, in recent events in WandaVision and the upcoming Marvel series. She and her are both in uh, a team called Next Wave it's not like this at all necessarily, but it's a lot of fun. It's actually pretty, pretty good. I really liked it, but I really got to know that character and she was a monster hunter and, and her dad and everything. And I really liked the character and they're very different from what I see in this. But the one thing I loved about this introduction is again, you through the fact that she has a legacy, there's a constrained relationship. Obviously she's, she's there, you know, because she cares. Um, but you're establishing that she kind of went off on her own and that she is her own person. And I really like that idea that she's just kind of there cause she wants to make sure it doesn't get in the wrong hands. You kind of get that idea already. Um, and the introduction to all this was with her specifically, it just, this, again, the, again, I, I'm sure both names, everyone knows that the actress playing her it just, she really does a great job of making you, at least for me, I, I was instantly drawn in mm-hmm. how the things she, how she acted, how she reacted to things is hilarious. Um, just who she just, again, the little bit that you see of her, there's an impact there. And I think that with all of them, with her showing up late and everything, it just, you're instantly are like, what's going on here. I, I love the intrigue and I, how it unfolds and everything is is perfect. But yeah, I, I really like the introduction of her specifically. And I just think that again, They do a lot with little, and that to me is the theme of this whole special, and I think it definitely continues with her. They really do a great job of focusing on her, but not giving us enough where it's like she's hamming it up. It's subtle, but there's enough subtlety there that's interesting, and again, that's all in the performance, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of fun mystery to the performance and the way the character's been introduced, because even when... Varusa is talking about, you know, he forfeited all these years of training, and she points out, well, training with him, training with her father. she's been training. and and I think that's where I mean, we see evidence of that during the hunt. And I think that's what's so interesting about this character is that she is incredibly formidable in the battles that she has with other hunters. But at the same time, she does have, uh, she's also able to be very, very vulnerable in these moments. And I think this is a very, this is like the weirdest, complex, most complex time for her, probably, because I'm I'm sure that she loved her father, despite how complicated things may have been with that relationship. And so here she is, like, and that's also one of the things I thought about as I was watching her dad and even kind of the look on her face when we get like the puppeteered version of, of dear old dad like laying out the the setup for the hunt and I'm like, this poor woman is watching her father's body uh, being animated to lay this out which I mean I guess Ulysses wanted um, or maybe he didn't. I don't know uh, but but uh, it's just it's so weird for her to have that setup. Obviously, her her stepmom just giving her a hard time, as I'm sure she always had. And that's like putting it nicely to say, like, giving her a hard time. Like all of these different things are going on and she wants the bloodstone. And we're not even entirely sure why, like because of what it represents for her family. She doesn't necessarily seem to be in the mood to go on a rampage and kill a bunch, uh, a bunch of monsters. Maybe she just wants to keep it away from, from others or that's what allows her to feel close to her dad, or it is just her family and, and that legacy. And so that's why she wants it. But there's a lot that's still left unsaid with that character that just it allows the character to be interesting and, and mysterious in this story, but also it's just ground for further exploration and, and more and follow-ups to this. As I said, like I, I don't think this is I, I do think this being the nature of the MCU, these characters, their stories will continue. But I also hope it's not just cameos and other things. Like I think their story should continue in in big ways, even if it's just more special presentations like this. I said werewolf by night two with Elsa and Jack and and being allowed to go even deeper into these characters and and their past, present and and future. But what they do here with Elsa, I I thought was very, very good. And, And same thing with Jack. Like we're not entirely sure kind of what his deal is, but we get that interaction that first meeting once they start the hunt and they go in and again it's every hunter for themselves they get to use whatever weapons they find in the space and the idea that we see communicated pretty clearly here is that if if you're a hunter you kill what you see whether that is the mon- whether that's the monster or one of the other hunters so they don't get to kill the monster and you do and there don't really seem to be any team-ups or even temporary alliances. That's maybe the one thing that I I wish this story did have time for, but that's just a trope of these things, so there's not like they needed to cram it in, but I always do like the temporary alliances followed by the inevitable betrayals, and that felt like the kind of thing that might happen here since these hunters don't know exactly what they're dealing with, but also they're very prideful in their kill counts and all of those things, so I understand why they all felt the need uh, to go solo since there could only be one winner, but when we get that initial meetup of Jack and Elsa and it's kind of the peaceful resolution to it before Jovan comes in and and messes that up and they have uh, you know our our first little skirmish there I I just like what's going on here with Jack and Elsa and I, I like that Elsa doesn't know what to make of it right like there's already everybody's got this universal question of what exactly Elsa is doing there and whether or not she deserves to be there and and whatever else but with Jack, the assumption is he's a hunter just like any of them, and he is the most prolific because we hear the highest kill count we hear before we get Jacks is Jovan at fifty-seven, and then we hear that Jack is over a hundred, and so from Elsa's experience, like this is the most lethal person who's there, and for to have that, and to have that expectation just completely shattered when all of a sudden Jack's there and just and he's the one who suggests that they just go their separate ways. It just adds to the intrigue because you're, even as an audience member, you know that Jack is a monster, but you're not really sure exactly where he stands in all of this. I mean, you figure he's probably sympathetic to other monsters, as you see in the opening. But I do think they do a good job of uh, leaving enough uh, enough questions around the character for you to try to I mean, be try to piecing together exactly who he is and what motivates him. And certainly it's a question for Ilsa. But that initial interaction in the hunt, and then before you get into the action of it, I thought was really good. And I think that's another part of why I love this. I thought the action was good, but I also, you could tell that there's restraint here because the action gets very big and very violent, uh, (laughs) very violent toward the very end of this. And so I like Michael Giacchino's choices here just as a director to just, again, let the characters live and take in the space uh, of this, you know, this maze or whatever for the monster hunt, because that's what we're doing as an audience member. And And I feel like we're kind of being, invited into this little, this little scare maze and, and given time to really exist in it for a minute before the action really picks up. Cause the story does kind of start to move fast after this, but I think Michael Giacchino did a, a good job of uh, allowing it to be patient and allowing some of that tension to build for us as an audience.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I'll, before I say anything and I may save it, uh, is this where he tells, uh, uh, Elsa where he's, why he's there? Um, he
0: doesn't say that yet. So they get interrupted. It's more. That's right. Yeah. They, it's when they both get trapped in, in the tomb. Like that's when they have their, their conversation. So this is more like, you know, it's her being taken aback by like, wait a minute. Like we've, we've locked eyes and we're not fighting. And this guy is suggesting we don't fight at all that we just pass each other by. Like, why is that? But before she can even process an answer to that question, that's when the attack from Jovan comes in.
1: Yeah. And so. And Jovan, and one of the things I really liked about this this uh, special was it definitely hammed it up in the best way possible. Like the violence was was violent, but it was so cheesy, and that, that callback to that whole Grindhouse idea in sense in sense of like fake violence in a way that it, it that's a very very delicate line to go on, and they definitely they towed it very very well on this, which again for a first time director. For Jake, Keno, obviously the guy's, you know, been involved in productions forever, it seems like. And he's a phenomenal composer. It's really incredible that they managed to and, and all the people working on the, you know, not, obviously not just him, but everyone working on this did a great job of towing that very delicate line of ham and cheese and not have it be too much for like this is gross. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, I sh- and I say gross in the, in, the, in the realistic way of like, eating a, a huge ham and cheese sandwich where it's like too much. And you're like, this is disgusting. Um, this is the perfect balance of towing that line and having fun and all, and obviously establishing that these people are ruthless. And I think that's also, yeah. it does a great job of establishing that. Like, this is not just a cute little, like, oh, well, we say, look we look at killed. how friendly
0: he was to Jack exactly. at the very beginning. Yeah. Like, you know, honor to meet you and all of this stuff and like glad to be celebrating Ulysses with you and all of this stuff. and then like as soon as he sees you in the monster hunt, like he's swinging that axe.
1: yeah and and again, like it really sets up the fact that this is for keeps. and there's again, I, I don't know if this is all this uh, coincidence is how it all worked well together, but this feels so perfectly placed to set up everything that I'm just like, man, like they do they're doing a great job. Of, again, towing that line enough to where you can have fun with it, they can be, you know, they can do violent things and you're not, but it's also safe for kids to watch. It's obviously not realistic, but at the same time, it lets it for, you can have like, families enjoy this like yeah i
0: don't i I think
1: i think so i
0: think some of the violence toward the end you know if you were letting your five-year-old watch it you might be having some regret but
1: that's obviously yeah but i mean it's
0: it's pg-13 i'm actually not sure what the official like tv rating is it's probably like a tv 14 or something like that but it's
1: not as bad it's not as bad as i i mean it's more violent than
0: here's where they get away with it right like it's because of how they set it up they're doing exactly. this in classic Universal Monster era with black and white to go with it. Mm-hmm. So the only red that you're catching is the red shining out of the bloodstone. Like that's it. And, and so that that's that genius. that goes a very long way in allowing them to. Uh, and it is. I'm checking the rating right now. It is TV fourteen. And yeah, they. That's why you can do it. If this stuff was in color. Uh, you know, not except for obviously the very end is, but if all of this violence was in color with severed hands and swords being, you know, slitting people's throats and going, you know, swords going into people's heads and all of that stuff um, that you get later on. Yeah, if this was in color, you're this is a TVMA presentation, but because it's not, you know, they're allowed to get away with more. But hey, that's that's part of it. Right. Like understand yeah. the medium that you're working with and the presentation yep. and understand the additional the additional space that that gives you, if it gives you a little extra room to go into it. And I also think that a lot of the violence, I mean, there is some violence that is just plainly shown, but there's also a lot of the violence where, you don't necessarily see the claws digging into somebody's skin. You see the swipe, and then you see the blood splatter on the screen, you know, on the camera. Like, that's the stuff that I think is really, really, uh, that's really cool. And then some stuff that is, yeah, just plain, As I said, You see a sword go into, you see a severed head. You see the arrow get shot through um, the one guy's jaw <laughs> as he's falling in. Like, there's some stuff, you know, to just kind of keep up pace with uh, with the story here. Like, yeah, Elsa gets away, and that, you know, the attack from johan separates... Elsa and Jack, and then Elsa almost immediately runs into Leorn, and that's the one that she ends up shooting. She severs the hand with the axe she picked up, and then shoots him through the jaw with that arrow, and then has to hold on to him and cover his mouth while he bleeds out, so they don't, she doesn't give away the fact to Jovan, who shows up and retrieves his axe, that she's there. Um, that's where, yeah, it gets, uh, it gets final. That's where I am saying with Elsa, that's where the intrigue just pumps up with this character. Like, she is prepared for that moment. And there is like, you you just want to know more of that backstory. You know that, uh, okay, there was training for some time with her father, but obviously a lot of training elsewhere. And you ju- it just raises the questions of where that was and what those experiences were and, and all of that, because you do just see how capable she is uh, of a hunter in these battles that she has. Um, and so, and, and Laura Donnelly, again, is so great. Like, I think the way she changes gears in her performance, like, you see Elsa having the anxiety, the worry, and, and everything that she's going through emotionally and a lot of the vulnerability that comes with all of that, but then when push comes to shove and it's time to fight, it's like she flips the switch and she's, I don't know about, uh, you know, she's a stone-cold killer. Maybe not cold because I, I don't think she enjoys it or anything like that, and, and I don't think it, it's not like it doesn't take any sort of toll on her. I'm sure that it does, but... In those moments when it's uh, when it's about survival, she flips that switch and, and she's ready to uh, and, and she's ready to defend herself and, and go on the attack when the situation calls for it and and all of that stuff I, I thought was great. Meanwhile, we finally get to see the monster that they are in there to hunt as uh, Jack has gotten away from that skirmish and we see uh, he takes a, a lean against the wall and this big arm comes out. And that arm belongs to Man Thing, aka Ted, and we meet uh, the first monster of our story here. And I, I don't know what I was expecting based on the trailer. Like I knew Man Thing was in this, but I was—I don't know if I just thought. And I think we might have even we might have even talked about it on the podcast. Like is Man Thing one of like several monsters that are popping up on this, or is Man Thing going to be mm-hmm. a truly featured part of this story? And suffice to say, and I'm very happy to say and, and and just have seen that Man-Thing was like a featured player in the story, which is just so freaking cool that, you know, a mm-hmm. character like Man-Thing uh, gets to be so present in this. And also with the way that this ends, another character who gets to have, you know, a, a potential future in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I do think Man-Thing is, is a hit already and going to be a character oh, that... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, people are gonna want to see a, a lot more of Ted, and uh, and rightfully so. But this introduction, and I love okay. the immediate familiarity. Like I, I love just kind of the smile and the laughs from Jack, and then like, oh god, I got to get you out of trouble again. You know, asking me if the bloodstone hurts, and like, yeah, they said it would, and, and all of those things, and coming up with the plan of exactly he's got this little explosive that he's gonna use to uh, to free them from this this monster maze. All of that stuff. Like I was just. I was flipping out for it, and Man Thing looked so good. I mean, we're not even seeing Man Thing in color yet, um, but I thought Man Thing. I was very pleasantly surprised at at how good that looked, and I'm also very excited to watch. And they have announced that they're going to do it. There's going to be a Marvel Studios assembled episode for Werewolf by Night, and I really want to see the breakdown because they do have like a a puppeteer, Eric Beck, like credited for um, Man Thing, and, and there was an actor. Uh, Carrie Jones, uh, who's credited as Ted slash uh, the Man-Thing. And so I'm very curious to see how much was, you know, practical in a suit with some puppeteering. Uh, also, Jeffrey Ford, uh, the editor of this, legendary Marvel Studios editor Jeffrey Ford did some additional Man-Thing vocalizations on this. So uh, a lot of credits for Man-Thing. And I can't wait to see the breakdown of exactly how they achieved this, of practical suit with costumes and puppeteering versus CG, I don't know how, uh, what that mix exactly is and what all the proportions are within that mix. Uh, but it all came together really nicely. Man thing looks great. Mm-hmm.
1: So I, it's hard to tell in black and white, like you said, like what's real and what's not, or what's practical and what's uh, CGI. It feels more, it, it definitely looks like it's a lot of it's practical, at least from again, mm-hmm. I've seen it a couple of times now. Um, and I've. It seems more practical obviously for the from the, the general body. It definitely feels that there's a lot of real like the mushrooms and that stuff. It looks very practical to me. I obviously the head has to be CGI and I'm, I'm curious if that's not maybe not a bad like cost saving way of just like having to do like that general face area only because everything else looks pretty looks pretty good. If it's all CGI I'd, 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 wow, that's it's incredible. but either way, uh, yeah, I thought man thing looked I mean we talk about no notes, Sean. I yeah. mean, you're talking <laughs> no like dudes. not one that that is like, nope, good. Like it's a, it's literally you cut, it's like,
0: literally like here's scissors. Yeah. Here's the went, comic book panel. Do that. Yeah, and they did. Yeah.
1: And then, oh, cool. I just, I just I just I just Photoshop it and trace it and blow it up from, a you know, on, on the on the whatever. And I'll just. Yeah, cool. That's it. That's, we got it. We're good. Um, He looked incredible. I've always loved Man Thing. And there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of Marvel purists. I've seen them out there already, and they're they're of the older type. Uh, and I say older because they they grew up on Man Thing. And the Man Man Thing, like Werewolf by Night, like Tomb of Dracula, came to fruition in the 70s. And he's a very interesting character in that he's he's almost a vehicle to tell weird stories through because he doesn't he never really talked to anyone. He doesn't have a personality. And so when I saw him on the trailer initially, I went, oh, cool. Like he's in this. He, he probably is going to be like the, the lurking monster. that's just going to be kind of like, oh, my God. And, and when he grabs Jack, I'm like, OK, you know, here we go. And then they're like communicating and talking. I went, OK, this is different. And I loved it. And I love the fact that they say they have a relationship. And I love the fact that like there is talking and there's, there, there's actual like just a, there's a totally relate a total established relationship with Ted. And we'll and I have a lot to say about man. Thing. we'll get to the end, but there's, I'll say a lot here too with man thing. A lot of he, in the comic books, he never emotes. He is a very, just a, he doesn't say anything. He's just kind of this lurking beast that uh, people, I say people, the writers will use to kind of use him to like usher things like different weird ideas, in the actual um, what he represents in the Marvel universe is actually really interesting, which I'll save that to the end because it, it, it actually kind of ties in to Wanda, believe it or not, uh, Sean. Yeah. Um. So, but we'll wait, we'll save that for the end for y'all. Um. But right now, uh, I, I I've seen some backlash from people on because this is not Man Thing because I don't, I don't if you, uh, know if you remember this but R L Stein did a miniseries that was just blasted and I read most of it um, because it really took Man Thing's character and actually had him talk and it was very much it's kind of meta and and, and they didn't, people did not like it I thought it was cute it was whatever right and. I got to tell you, as someone who actually loves, the, I think the design of man thing is incredible. I think it's a phenomenal looking design character. Uh, I fell in love with this character immediately. I was actually like, oh, he actually has a personality. That's great. This is awesome. And I think it's the best move they could have done for him because he, I, I don't, he's just not interesting. I mean, he's he was got
0: a, thun- a personality, but it's not like it's this overbearing, exactly. loud thing. Like it's a balance of he has to be a character and characters have Mm -hmm. to emote and communicate in some way. Cause even, even when a character Mm -hmm. is not communicating, that's communicating cause it's a choice to not Mm -hmm. communicate or, or it's a, it's defining a circumstance for that character if they're unable to communicate. But I, I think with man thing in the comic books, like I'm not some devout man thing fan. I've always thought the character was really, really cool and really looked cool. I think the first time I remember seeing Man-Thing was like Incredible Hulk 427 to 428 when Peter David was still writing and Liam Sharp was doing it, was drawing it. And the character was cool as hell. And that was kind of my introduction because I was like, oh, it's Marvel's Swamp Thing. And it was, and I thought Man-Thing was awesome and whenever he popped up. And I I think what's different about, I I think with Man-Thing as a character and to not get too deep into it, because like we're, you know, I'm sure we'll get more into it with the end, but his power level and, and stuff like that, what his powers are, you see the way he you know burns people in this and it's you know fear-based and stuff like that, uh, which we'll get into more, but like what the way that's positioned with man thing is cause most times I've seen him it's kind of popping up in another character's story, because you're not talking about like a, a long man thing comic book series. He's popping up in other characters' stories. But because of that, because the character doesn't necessarily communicate what he does is it, it really forces a lot of inner dialogue with the other character. So like that was my introduction was in those Hulk comic books. And so it's talking, it's more Bruce Banner or smart Hulk, professor Hulk at the time working through his own stuff because here's man thing, not necessarily communicating. Um, but of course you get Hulk versus man thing monster fights. Cause why wouldn't you, if you're going to put man thing in the incredible Hulk, but that's kind of where it's been. It's like, it's this soul searching, whatever that is kind of reflected upon this other character. And there's, There's value in that for sure, and I love that. And I still think you can do that with Man-Thing in these stories in in the future, but at the same time, like, that makes Man-Thing almost a prop to force the introspection on another character as opposed to, well, what is Man-Thing? What does Ted actually think about or care about? And so I I think balancing that the way they have in this worked really, really well. It's not like Man-Thing is full on talking. I mean, he can't even bust out an I am Groot. Like it's just these little grunts and shrugs and, and little noises and stuff like that. Um, and I love that. Like, I, I think that's what the character that's the balance is. It's not, you're not all of a sudden making him this hyper verbose character. Like he's just able to communicate a, a little bit. And it's not like he communicates a ton with everybody. He communicates with Jack and then a little bit with Elsa because there's a little bit of that trust that is established with that character. So Man Thing is going to communicate with uh, a very, very limited set of people that he trusts, and I think that is the that's the right balance for this. And yeah, again, with the look of the character, um, no notes at all. And then uh, of course, as we see, uh, there, Israel is there, and so of course, uh, Jack has to go on the run. He tries to escape in a tomb. It turns out Elsa is there and she shouts at him to not shut the door, but it's too late because once you're shut in, you are locked inside until, of course, you, you know, grave rob and and find yourself a key. But um, this scene and this is the one you were referring to earlier, Paul, uh, between Jack and Elsa, where Jack gets a chance to explain why he's there. I, I love this so much. And, and this is where, again, like, I, I just love that in this very short story that's less than an hour, and, you know, we're having this big, exciting monster hunt, and we're still going to have the big werewolf attack scene and all that stuff later on, I, I like that the way Michael Giacchino had, the way this story is laid out, and I should credit the writers as well, Heather Quinn and Peter Cameron, the way this lays out with, you have the, the more quiet, subdued introduction... And then the action ramps up, but then we take a break here. We kind of get like a halftime in in this monster hunt. And this conversation is really, really good. Like, I I think him explaining why he's there, he's there to help his friend. He's there to just help his friend escape. That's why he didn't attack Elsa earlier. Like, he's not there to kill anybody. And he, you know, and they start getting on the subject of family, because that's obviously a lot of what Elsa is dealing with. And I, I love the, and even the writing is really good there when he talks about his own experience and, and family and, and that being something that, you know, whether it's for better or for worse, this kind of atmosphere and everybody lives in their own atmosphere is provided to them by their family and, and feeling like there's the, that one thing that they could do if they had to prove that they weren't like their family, assuming that that's negative. All of those different types of things I, I thought were great because it, it applies to Elsa and the problematic nature of her own family. But also we go back to Jack and what he said earlier when he talked about honoring his ancestors. Well, these monsters in a lot of way, there's kinship, there's family amongst them. I think even if they don't, because there are common traits, I think, for a lot of them, even if it's not necessarily, you know, characters that Jack was directly related to, you know, that idea of that family lineage of monsters and, and all of that. And the burden that comes with that—that's the expectation, that's the curse of Jack—is not just the harm that he does because he doesn't want to do any harm as a werewolf, but the way he's always going to be seen because of this uh, situation that he's in as a werewolf, and and that cursed nature of it. And I think when he's talking about one thing you could do to prove you're not like them, I think that's part of what he's doing, like the the lives that he tries to save and all of those different things. That's the one thing or the many things he tries to do to prove that maybe he's not like other monsters that really did mean harm and, and enjoyed doing harm. Uh, that certainly isn't him.
1: Yeah. I I love this because you're you're kind of getting a lot of setup here, I think, for where Jack is come where, where he comes from and, and you and it's not laying it all out on the line. But you're, but he's basically kind of telling you that where he kind of comes from and, and what he's been kind of dealing, dealing with his whole life. And I like this. And there was so much, there was a really great moment of these two people interacting. And, you know, I love what he said. His name is Ted. You know, I love, I love what he says that his name is Ted. And again, you're, again, you're establishing the fact that he knows this person, like, you know, pers- like very, 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 very well. The fact that he knows this, this guy's name. Um, and the fact that he knows his name and he's friends with monsters leads me to the fact that he could be almost the Nick Fury, if you will, of monsters kind of going forward. If he has a relationship with man thing, what does that mean for, you know, and he's got a history of this with his family, what does that mean? It feels like they're kind of setting us up for what they need a through line potentially. And I think, and I'll get more of that in a little bit as well, because I think there is actually a a giant, there's a couple giant through lines, to be honest. Um, but there's one that we haven't even talked about, which you can't wait to get to, um, we'll save it for the end with man thing. Um, but yeah, they're, they're establishing that this guy might have more connections with monsters than we realize. And I think the fact that he knows this person by name is not just, you know, he knows him a little bit. He knows, he knows this creature's name. His name is Ted. I love it. And so, um, and the fact that it also go back to the original uh very beginning of the show. He said, he says he has 100 kills. What does that mean? Is he lying? I don't think he is. So, I think there's I think there's a balance of monsters residing in the Marvel universe. I think mm-hmm. that he probably is a protector of of them to an extent until they become they cross a the line. And I think that's where right. we're going to get a little bit. And we've gotten that already. So, I think there's so much intrigue with this character that like I got to tell you, the performance is great. Um, and I just, I love that we haven't gotten him in full werewolf makeup and I'm already in, super invested in this character, both these characters, but, but yeah, I, I, I really did started to fall in love with, with Jack Russell with just with him, and his interactions and his, his, just his, his, uh, his very, there's a, there's a very, um, innocence almost to the way he portrays the character, uh, and a very, on, a very honest innocence, it feels like to me, at least, at least the way I took it. And I feel like that's all there. And I'm just, it's so charming that you just I just I was rooting for him. It, yeah, ima- I mean, it's it's very I mean, obviously I'm supposed to, but I think the performance again, the performances really, really do a great job of giving us that investment. And I think that I I just love the innocence that he gave from his performance in that especially in that scene.
0: Yeah, I, I think there there is this kind of sweetness and this sadness, I, I think, to Jack. And I, I think you're right, like. I don't think it's a lie. I don't think it's all bluster when you say he has over 100 kills, although maybe he's counting monster hunters in his kill count. I don't know. Um, I don't know the official scoring system of the Bloodstones and, and all of that stuff and how that gets determined otherwise, unless people just say what their count is. But I do think it's authentic, and I think you're right in that I think that's part of when he talks about the idea of, of family and, and doing the right thing to try and prove you're not like them and, and whatever the case may be, it's like going back to monsters. I, I think that's a, a great way of putting it is like he protects monsters. He wants to see the goodness that's in there, the decency that's in the, you know, the human being or the creature or the person underneath the monster. So there is that part of it. But then, yeah, some monsters do mean harm and really are monsters and just kill innocent people and don't have any problem with it they don't do what Jack does and try to take measures to not allow their affliction to end up causing them to do harm against other people that, yeah, maybe he does step in and and stop them because them doing harm, obviously it's the innocent lives that they're, that they're costing or that they're taking, but it's also, it makes it harder for somebody like Jack or like Ted, because now everybody just assumes when they see a monster that that monster means harm and is going to kill them. So, uh, the way they go into, uh, the way all of that gets portrayed, I think the writing is so good. And again, the performance, Gael Garcia Bernal is just, he is so, so good um, in this uh, as as Jack. And and I think there is something uh, about his character that just plays into it. Like that's where, I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but that's where I, I think that undercurrent of the of the tragic, the tragedy, the sadness that comes with being that person, that curse, like in it, and it's it's very much in. I mean, it was in werewolf storytelling. It's been in monster storytelling since before they were making movies about it, when they were writing novels about it. And so that's been there, and and that's been part of the equation. But it's also something that we think about, like that Marvel has picked up on and utilized already. Like the biggest example is the Hulk, right? And and everything that Bruce Banner. Has gone through as the Hulk before finding the the resolution that he's achieved, at least up until this point, as smart slash smug hulk. Like that was a whole journey of getting through that. And it had that sadness of, you know, the the curse of being a monster and, and all of those things. And so where did Marvel get that from? Like where did Stan Lee and everybody get and Jack Kirby and everybody else, Peter David, Uh, Picking up, you know, doing, you know, the most prolific Hulk writing. Like, where did they get all that from? It was stuff like this. And so, like, it was this type of storytelling and these types of characters that laid the groundwork for it that inspired that. And so, to go, you know, to take it back to what, in many ways, is kind of the source of the tragic monster storytelling and the way that they portray it in this uh, was so incredibly well done. And it's great to be able to take it all the way back to the source. Within the context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, with something like this, with uh, with Werewolf by Night, but then uh, we, Elsa is able to remember, you know, a story about her aunt, and then that leads to the grade robbing. They get the key, also a handy weapon that's going to help pry the Bloodstone off of uh, Man Thing. Eventually, uh, they're able to get away, and then, as you mentioned, like the the conversation that happens when they come out of that, and it's an important conversation that kind of does reference to even though they do not go out of their way to explicitly explain man things powers and i think it's better that they don't but because they are a little confusing in how they actually work in in the comic books but he does say like just treat him like a friend and you know call him by his name his name's ted his name's ted and she's like he's ted okay um, and then she actually is able to run into Ted and she initially has a, a fearful reaction because why wouldn't you, here's this giant monster, but then she does calm down and she calls him Ted and has the conversation. Like your friend's trying to help you out. He's going to go try to blow up a wall and that's going to be, uh, that's going to be your escape. And th- you know, to get—I guess—we should get into the Man Thing powers and stuff like that a, a, a little bit here, because we are going to see him use his powers, like we see when he's going to kill Joe on here, uh, when he gets Verusa at the end, and there was the the footprint that we saw earlier in the story, where it's like this smoldering, you know, footprint that it's still sizzling, right? So, what are these like fire powers that Man Thing has? Well, Ted or Doctor Theodore Salas, uh like has these powers where he can—it's essentially like a chemical burn you know, that he could basically do. And it's, it's essentially like, I think in the comic books, like it's like fear when he detects fear in someone's heart or mm-hmm. something like that, that he, that he kills them, which is kind of confusing because man thing, essentially almost everyone's afraid of man thing, but not everyone gets killed by man thing, touching them. So in the comic books, it's not super consistent, but that's what, uh, that's what Jack was referring to. Treat him like a friend. Don't treat him out of fear. Basically treat him as a person, as opposed to a monster, and so I, it, the rule's not quite the same as, as the comic books, and I'm glad they modified it a bit, because it is a little confusing and inconsistent in the comic books. It's not like just, don't be afraid. It's not based on whether or not you feel any fear. It's based on how you treat Man-Thing as a, you know, whether you whether you fear him or not shouldn't impact how you initially try to treat him, and that's the key for Elsa, is that she does take that advice and she just calls him Ted and, and talks to him like a friend, talks to him like a person, as opposed to uh, just being terrorized by uh, by the monster. And, and that is what allows her to survive where of course uh, other hunters and, and Verusa do not.
1: One of the things I thought was interesting with that power, Sean, because in the comic books, again, I go back to the fact that he has, he, there's no personality with the comic book version of Man-Thing. And that's important because in his power set, when he said, he doesn't have a good or evil like sense and I don't know where where this is going in the, in the MCU, but in the comic books, it, that whole fear power, it didn't matter if you're good or bad. If you, if he sense if he smelled or, or I say smelled, but he sensed fear, he would, his, his like, uh, basically, uh, in, uh, uh, desire or uh, reason to live is to, in, you know, in, uh, de- destroy that fear essentially. Right. And burn it. That's what he does. He touches things. and He burns them. Like we see in the show. And with that, there is that sense of that's why it's so important when Ted's telling her, you know, treat him like a friend. And I don't know if how they're going to treat it with this is going to be a, uh, a defense mechanism for him because I do feel that there's going to be an, alter, an altering of the character, which I'm totally cool with. But in the comics, the way I always see it is like how much fear you had would be probably how much he would hurt you. And, you know, so if you were like, you had a lot of fear, you probably would die. That's kind of the way I interpret it in a way, but you're right. It's not, it's never really consistent. Um, But in this, I did like the fact that that still is, it's still a part of it. And it's still instilled in the character. And yeah, I, I didn't know how they're going to do that. But I did like the fact, I did feel that it was when he started saying that I went, okay, that's, they're going to go with that whole, the whole power burning or the burning thing, which I loved, which we got and was amazing. It was, it looked beautiful. And yeah, like I said, I think it really adds to the character. It makes it a lot more intriguing here with the whole fear power because I don't know if that is a defense mechanism or not with the fact that he has more of a personality. Because, again, in the comics, he has no personality. And it does, le- it does lend itself in an interesting way in the comics because he's not good or evil. He, just will, he will evaporate ev- uh, fear because that's what he's kind of – basically his existence is, is to evaporate fear around him. So – Um, I like this. I, I, I'm curious where they take this, but you're right. I did like the fact that he's telling her, just treat him like a friend, treat him like a friend, call him Ted. And and the more you, again, the more you normalize a fear, whatever it is, the less scary it becomes. And I love that. I love that, that you're, he's acknowledging that.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. And then we get the bit where, okay, now Jack is on his mission. He needs to use that little bomb that he's got to blow up the wall. There's a place where it's cracked. And he's told, like, hey, if you just throw it to the wall, it'll stick. Of course it doesn't. So you even get, like, out of nowhere, you just get, like, this little slapstick sort of comedy with the fact that this little bomb won't stick to the wall. And then he finally does the obvious thing and puts it in the crack and it explodes. And that allows Man-Thing to get away as Man-Thing is making a run for it. That's when uh, Elsa uses that weapon to pry the bloodstone off of him. So Man-Thing escapes, never to be seen again. Just kidding. Uh, and then the bloodstone is there on the ground, and Jack goes to touch it, and he is knocked for a loop, which reveals that Jack himself is a monster. And so we still have our surviving hunters at this point, Elsa and Jack, but also Azrael and Barasso, and of course, the, uh, the organizer of all these festivities, Verusa, And then we are back in the mansion and inside a cave, or cage, rather, where we find Jack and Elsa. And Elsa is, of course, understandably scared about what's uh, about to happen and what made Jack turn into and, and tries to thank him in advance for making it quick if he's going to end up killing her whenever he changes into something. He tries to explain that uh, well they're gonna have five days they don't really have to worry about this because it's five days until the next full moon normally he locks himself in a ha- he locks himself up so he can't do any harm uh, but the problem is as ilsa points out the bloodstone can be used to make him change now but before we even get into that I just again these little quiet conversations and we get that perspective of of Jack and this is where again the the performance is so good whereas he's kind of explaining like he doesn't this is who he is. The person that Elsa is talking to, Jack, that is who he is, not the monster. Like, he can't help that side of himself that that happens when there's a full moon, so he does take these measures to prevent himself from doing harm to others because he doesn't want to. He has no intention or no desire to do that whatsoever. This is just this thing that he is cursed with, and I, I like giving Jack the opportunity to really explain that because as he's explaining himself, that's also what fuels like the empathy that he has, the understanding that he has, like that he, his assumption when he sees another monster is not the same as anyone else's assumption when they see a monster, like their assumption is that this is a monster who means to do, who who is soulless and means to do harm. Whereas Jack, when he first sees a monster is maybe under a different assumption that this may be somebody just like me um, and it, who is not soulless, who doesn't want to do anyone any harm, but is has this thing that they ab- about themselves that they absolutely cannot control, but that's not the real person. So he's looking for something else underneath. He found that in Ted. Presumably he's found that in other monsters. Sometimes maybe he has found nothing underneath, or what he did find underneath uh, was just as terrible, if not worse, and that's maybe where the 100 kills come from. But this is where I I, I do think that with as many moving parts as... I mean, it's a fairly straightforward story, but there is a lot of plot going through this, right? We have to go through the death of Ulysses, and what does that mean? Now let's go on a monster hunt. Now let's set up for a a werewolf scene. Now let's actually have the werewolf scene. So there's a lot of A to B to C and on down the line for this plot, but it never comes at the expense, and it, it never cuts out moments like this where we really just get to live with these characters and get to know them a little bit, and, and get to the heart of these characters, and that is what is kind of, and, and that's what's essential, and, and even the advice that Jack gave Elsa about Ted also applies here, you know, like she's, you can't help but be fearful when you see a werewolf, but the, the treaty the, the ability to see a person, to see a friend underneath, like, ends up being extremely valuable for Elsa, as well as, you know, Jack, like, you know, making sure he had her sent down and stuff like that. Like, although he doesn't suggest that plan has always worked, he just notes that it's only, it's worked once, Um, because I don't think that is necessarily what does the trick. It it really is the empathy, seeing the human, seeing the person, seeing the soul underneath. Um, So, it's really more of his advice from earlier that, that saves Elsa in the end, and in some ways saves Jack. Um, but yeah, these little quiet moments, just letting these characters explore how they feel in these moments it, is key to what that, that's what really elevates the story for me. Yes, all the monster stuff is fun, but the character work is is particularly outstanding,
1: yeah. I, I loved I loved all this. And it, there's so much great establishing of of these people through these conversations. and and the fact that you know he says he's I love the setup. Oh, I'm am not gonna turn into a monster. I got five days. I'm good. I mean, <laughs> you know? like, he's like, I'm, whoops, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oops. uh, You know, and I think there's also great setup there because I, I love the callback to the traditional monster you know werewolf thing motif uh, that is cool, but now with the bloodstone and these you know the fact that these these two people now have a, have an established relationship, um, and know each other now. What does that mean going forward? When if they team up, then I have to have a full moon, right? Wink, wink. So just keep that in mind. Again, like I, I just love that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love that little tease of, and also setup of like what's going to happen in a few minutes, but also for potential stories down the line when you know when he has to turn into a werewolf, we don't have to worry about full moon because we have the bloodstone. We can just go, like, guess what? You're a, you're a werewolf, yeah, ah, exactly. Ah, you know. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, I, I love this stuff. And I lo- I just I love the fact that I'm like, yeah, how does a werewolf work in this in a universe? And he explains it I went, Oh, okay, that makes sense. So yeah, I-, I love this part.
0: Yeah. That stuff was great. And then we get uh, of course we get Verus and everybody else walking out in their goofy cloaks and masks and whatever. It's you know, a little it's a little too eyes wide shut for me, but I'm just like, Whatever. Uh wow. they show up and then she's showing like the uh and then she's got the bloodstone. She had makes, uh, uh, of course makes Jack change into the werewolf and then all hell breaks loose. And this whole sequence I I thought was really, really good. Like I, I just, everything about it, the way it was structured, right? Like it's very murky. You're not really getting a chance to see inside the cage. And then you see the top of the cage that, you know, the werewolf has gotten out And then you're scanning around the room, and then the eyes light up, and he's on top of one of the mounted monster heads, and then jumps into the attack. I just that visual, I just I just flipped for it. I I thought that was so good. Like that was just you know chef's kiss, you know master touch by Michael Giacchino and and company. Like with the way they did that reveal uh, with the werewolf, and and it's just moving so fast and getting into the action a little bit before you actually get kind of the solid uh camera shot of the werewolf and you actually get to see the the design and, and it looks great. You know, look I mean I know pretty much everybody's seen like a thousand different versions of a, a werewolf in movies and shows and, and whatever else. I, I wouldn't say they revolutionized werewolf design with this. Um, they went classic and it worked. And you know it's it's just classic Wolfman. Like I, I thought it was great. And and then you know the the violence the the violence in this as I said like there's some neat tricks there where it feels more violent than it actually is. And there's some stuff that's just straight up violent, right? Like when Elsa gets into the action and she starts taking out the the other hunters, like the death of of Barrasso, right? Like just the 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 sword against his neck as he's getting up from the ground and she just pulls that sword up and his throat slit and that's done, although you don't necessarily see some huge gash. But then you do see the gash with the sword going into the head of Azrael, Uh, later on in in all of that fight, and all of that just, I I mean, it was was almost like this thing where there was so much tension. I mean, there were some other kind of violent outbursts, right, during the monster hunt, but not that violent, and it never lasted that long, so it's like a lot of this story had just kind of been on this simmer, and then now it just explodes uh, with what we see here uh, in this whole sequence. And I just I, I thought it was great. I just thought it was so unreal with the way uh, the way it was it was shot beautifully. And as I said, a lot of the violence is more felt and heard than seen, or you see the manifestations of it, blood splatter yeah. and whatever else. You know, some of it is very explicitly shown. A lot of it isn't. But I think because you show some of it in more explicit fashion, then it makes it all feel like it's hyper violent, and, it, and it's not. That's that's effect. That's visual storytelling, having uh, being allowed to just kind of have that visceral effect on you as an audience member. So that's where you know that that's a tip of the cap to Michael Giacchino as a director and, and how he balanced all of that because it it was it, it was really really effective and just it it made the scene so compelling and and scary and and just fun
1: yeah this was a great I I thought it was a perfect kind of cap to everything the build up to him becoming the werewolf um you know to the actual the name of the uh the the whole special right and it it lived up I thought it was perfect it looked he looked great he looked unique but also felt like a callback a little bit to the original you know Wolfman. um so there was a lot of nods to that and I think you have to and I, I like the the very practical effect of it. I like, oh, thought it looked good. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I just love this ending. It was perfect. It just felt, it was a great cap to, I think the entire episode of what we we, we were building to, and it just felt perfect to where, um, what this is, this, this great special has been and what, what it's been doing. So yeah, I, the fact that it, it caps off with this great looking werewolf with having action, it's, it's just, it, it baffles me that I'm just like, man, we're getting legit like Wolfman and MCU. Like it's just hilarious. You know, it's great. I yeah, it love it. So it's, it's again, I, I just love the fact that it's so different than anything we've gotten in the MCU and it fits and it just, we don't, it doesn't have to fit with like the Avengers. It's its own thing. And I just love the fact that it exists, but it's its own thing. And it just, it's a great callback to what I love those old monster movies from. So yeah, it was a, it was a great, great uh, uh, just ending to this uh, you know fun. You know, we knew it was happened. And again, hyper violent in a very clever way without being, you know, too over the top uh, one way or another. And again, it, it rode that cheesy line. There's some cheesy kills in there, but it's, they fit perfectly to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, tonally, I think it's on par with what this story is and what this presentation is. And that's where, you know, it's that tonal balancing act of like we can have. Uh, a little more cheesy, campy elements to this, but then we can be very sincere, very earnest in you know the more emotional moments between characters and some of the quieter scenes. Like, and, and it's just, and it all works, and it there's a harmony between all of those elements that you know normally should not be quite so harmonious. So, like, I, I think a lot of that was working. And then when you get to um, kind of the, the resolution to the scene, at least as far as the werewolf is concerned, like then. Everybody's down, Verusa, she's not dead yet, but everybody's down. and then the werewolf pounces on Elsa. and that's where, again that that advice, not so much because it's not like all of a sudden um, the werewolf smelled her and was like, oh, never mind, not you and took off. That's not really what was the key to the scene. That was not the key to Elsa kind of surviving and being able to, you know, connect with the werewolf, with the monster that was within and now is like external for Jack. It was just having that eye contact, like seeing the person underneath, touching his face. Like it it was just treating it like a friend, like a person, like not not a soulless monster, but with something, a creature, a person with a soul uh, that could be, that you could connect with. And and Elsa does uh, briefly in that moment. And that's enough for the werewolf to... Not kill her to spare her, and then uh, and take off. And I thought just a really great moment where you know I, I don't think Jack had any idea which advice that he gave throughout this uh, interaction with Elsa was actually going to be the part that worked. But it was really more you treat Jack or you treat the werewolf the same way you treat Ted, and that might give you a chance. And and that's what happened here with Elsa. Um, and then of course Verusa is back uh, back up, but she's not the only one you know, yeah, she's going to talk her smack to, uh, to her stepdaughter, but she's not going to get it. too many more digs in because Man-Thing is back, picks her up and, uh, you know, burns her. So <laughs> like, it's just, and we get to see what we only briefly saw happening to Jovan earlier and, and evidence of in, in the monster hunt, but no, it's, it's full on with the way they do it here with, uh, with Man-Thing. And, um, I thought it was great. Like I I just thought it looked cool as far as a a character death for, you know, an an evil person who who's maybe got it coming based on, you know, the, the moral balance of this story. And so all of that was great. And then just kind of the, the shrug and the conversation. And I like how familiar Elsa and man thing are now where like, there's, there is no more fear. It is just Ted. And she's like, yeah, you went that way. And man thing uh, and, and man thing takes off like all of that was great. And just again, the the movement for man thing like with running in in different places mm-hmm. and stuff like that, grabbing the cloak. I'm sure, you know, Carrie Jones did some performance capture, so there's probably, you know, the gray pajamas and dots and all that stuff. I don't know if there's anything in a suit. I mean, there was some puppeteering. Again, I just I can't wait for the the assembled uh, of this and, and to really be able to to look at how they did it. Uh, with Man-Thing, because I, I just think it all looked so great, whether it was just standing still um, or in motion uh, or in color as Elsa mm-hmm. takes a seat with the Bloodstone, and now she's uh, she controls Bloodstone Manor tells the, the butler to clean all that shit up. Like, <laughs> that was great. Um, that was awesome. And then as we get, like, Wizard of Oz somewhere over the rainbow playing as we Got transition me. into color, and that just felt like its own kind of, homage, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm, to the, the, era, the wizard, era. yeah, to the era and Wizard of Oz, the transition from black and white to color yep. and, and very technicolor looking uh with the way that uh, that it's presented. It's not color as we normally see it now in, in modern uh visual presentation. Uh, it was that kind of classic look. So it was still designed by the era. And I liked all the other things they did that we, you know, that we haven't mentioned before. Um, but there are other things like, you know, the little The little marks, like, you know, film or like it's cigarette burns in the film and and all of these things they do to kind of make it really just really further immerse you as an audience member in that era and and really make it feel like that's truly the setting for this story. And all of that was great. And then even with this transition, I loved it. And also, I mean, the look for Elsa Bloodstone when she she got the Bloodstone, like, it's a different look from her than we've had Mm And Mm -hmm. so, like, she's been this character who's been very, very formidable and vulnerable, but this looks like a different side of her. And I'm not saying, like, oh, she now looks evil, but she certainly looks uh, sure of herself in a way that she didn't quite look uh, in other parts to this. And so, her having the Bloodstone, what does that mean? Um, I I do not know, but I absolutely, besides, like, yeah, automatic werewolf transformations for team-ups, yeah, you got that part. (laughs) But uh, what else does it mean? I don't know. I I just can't wait to see uh, what's next for her. And I'm also excited to see what's next for Ted and Jack, even if it's just getting sushi. I love that, like, Man-Thing took the time to grab one of those cloaks on his way out of the mansion so that that way his buddy, the werewolf, would have something to wear and keep warm uh, when he transformed back uh, into a human as Jack. Um, That was great. And Man-Thing, like, it's like, okay, you can make it look perfect with the design in, in black and white and whatever, but how's it going to look when we actually see that green looks just as perfect and uh, and just the, I, I love, these guys are, I just love the, the friendship between these two characters. They're kind of shrugging off, laughing off what they've just been through and who saves who and all of those things and, and all of their adventures and misadventures. And now like, oh, can't even think about food at a time like this, but maybe we'll go get some sushi, like, all of that was just, it was a great, uh, it was a great fun little end to, uh, to this spooky, fun, scary story.
1: The Technicolor ending was chef's kiss, man. I, I love this part so much. It was so perfect. I mean, the transition to Technicolor, which I gotta tell you, I kind of wanted them to keep the Technicolor for the horror stuff going forward. I think it looks phenomenal. It, it fits the tone so perfectly. I thought... Man thing looked so good like in Technicolor. It looked amazing. Um and maybe that's why I thought it maybe it maybe it is more practical because the Technicolor really emphasized the maybe uh, the the uh, realism of the character. I don't know. It's just either way, I love the I love this transition and I thought it was beautifully done. A really a really tip of the hat to the whoever's idea that was to have that transition in, in the show. Um yeah, it was great. It was I I I loved it's funny with with Elsa's um, uh, costume, I love the fact she's wearing you know, I didn't know what she's wearing is black and white and then it's oh, she's wearing red Well, duh, that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And but it, it she looks I love her look, man. it's so it's so simple but so like perfect. and um, I, I love that a whole transition a great a great set again, Great setup for what could happen in the future, and we talk about Blade, you know, its reshoots and everything. I really want them to incorporate more of these characters in this in this movie going forward, or maybe in this, whatever whatever they're doing monster wise. I want Elsa Bloodstone to be involved because and Jack Russell because it's it's so good. Um, so that was a great ending to the sh- to the to series, and I just maybe wanting more of her. The ending with with uh, I'll just call Ted and and Jack was just. I, again, you're, I was not anticipating to fall in love with Man Thing like this, and I, I am again. I am a diehard purist for comic book, you know, co- you know, characters, and sometimes you have to deviate. This was a deviation that I wasn't wasn't expecting. Didn't think you necessarily. Were, I didn't. I didn't think they needed it because I didn't think they they would want to do something like this. But the fact that have given Man-Thing a more, uh, an actual kind of personality, really, I, I'm all about it. I want to see more Man-Thing all the time, all the time. And there's just something interesting there. Now, I want to go back a little bit, a couple things before we wrap up. Um, and I'm just going to, again, love this show. This show, I want more of these, please, please. I want more Jack, I want more Elsa, I want more Man-Thing. What's really cool about this series, and I, and I did some, you know, before I get to my comic reading, the... The Man Thing stuff is interesting because I the connection with Wanda, she's a Nexus being, right? Like that's what her, mm-hmm. you know, what's fascinating. I've talked about the connections between Kang and the Nexus, you know, beings and whatnot, and how his, you know, in Kang's other her personality, Immortus was obsessed with Wanda because she was a Nexus being, et cetera, et cetera. What's fascinating is Man Thing operates in a Nexus like. Area of the of the Marvel Universe where it's like a, a doorway essentially. So he's kind of like a guardian also of the Nexus doorway of like this one like uh, little like, like a, a try what not um, doorway yeah it's a good doorway dimension doorway essentially of the Nexus where he exists. So there's just a lot of he has this really weird connection with that uh, also. So there is like the fact they've introduced Wanda. Uh, Kang and slash Mortis I'm I'm sure is coming too I'm pretty sure Uh, and then now with Man-Thing there's that Nexus thing that's going to come around they're going to be using somehow some way so Man-Thing could show up I think in cameo only but in some way with the whole Nexus you know with maybe King's Dynasty Uh, I don't know Um, so the next thing is what's fascinating with another WandaVision connection and I didn't find this out until reading the comic books again I don't know much Darkhold stuff or a werewolf by night as i'm reading this i'm like holy crap in the comic books uh jack russell's dad is the one who actually creates the dark hold so he took ancient things that like, all the things that dark was based out of that we got from wandavision in the comic books he's the one that puts it in actual book form and creates that and by creating the dark hold he ignites this old living curse on his family of werewolf and he becomes a werewolf by night that he passes on to his son jack which I'm like, whoa, this is blowing my goddamn mind right now. So there's lots of connections here between, and also the Bloodstone. I think it gets introduced with all these horror. I don't know the Bloodstone as well, um, but with the Darkhold and the Werewolf by Night connections, um, there's a lot of cool stuff that in the Nexus, uh, you know, all that stuff with Man Thing. There's lots of really cool things that Marvel's interweaving that I have no idea they're going to pay off together. But I don't know if it's coincidence that they've introduced the Darkhold now Werewolf by Night. All that is they're connecting the horror elements through different mediums and different uh, 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 stories that they're going to put together eventually that I think is will be really fascinating. Again, remains to be seen if that actually will happen, but it definitely feels are going that way. And just like the comic books back in the 70s, Sean. Marvel could really be, you know, use the horror comics and the horror uh, aesthetic to really boost themselves when superheroes weren't selling as well. That's why Star Wars, all the licensed things were really so big because Marvel Comics superheroes weren't as mainstream and it weren't selling as well. So they had Werewolf by Nights and the Tomb of Draculas and the Star Wars and all these different franchises they were starting, um, uh, properties that were, you know, they're, they're adapting uh, to help them boost, it, boost them and kind of keep them alive during that time. And what's funny is Marvel could be doing a little bit of the same when everyone complains about, or it's all the same, blah, blah, this, and they're, they're, they're dead. The horror element really could be helping renew a lot of, like just, uh, uh, reinvigorate a little bit of the creative side. And I think people's interest in the MCU, if they are bored with superheroes, because there's so many different horror elements they haven't really introduced and werewolf by night is only a small portion of that. And again, with the things I said before that are introducing already, I think they're definitely going that direction in a a sub a sub genre, if you will, off the beaten path of the Avengers, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, I think they're definitely building out this supernatural corner of the MCU, and they haven't even necessarily been secretive about that. I mean, Kevin Feige has kind of acknowledged it and just other characters that have come to the forefront. I mean, obviously, there's some of that that a lot of that that Wanda Maximoff lends herself to that that Stephen Strange lends himself to. But then other characters that we know are on the way, and with Blade, uh, of course, I know we're not going to see Blade next year. It's going to be a little bit longer, but Blade is is going to be a part of that. Moon Knight certainly gets uh, a lot of opportunities to play in that space. Eventually, there's going to be some version of Ghost Rider in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and so uh, and I'm still rooting for Robbie Reyes. And, and give if Charlie Cox gets to keep playing Matt Murdock, let's let Gabriel Luna uh, keep playing. Uh, Let's let him keep playing Robbie Reyes. He did a great job on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But uh, yeah, they're going to build a lot of this stuff out. And I I think it does give them just another space to operate in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, I I think it is just it enriches the whole experience of the MCU, that you can have all different, all sorts of different types of adventures in these stories uh, with just a a completely different one uh, that we got to experience here Uh, with werewolf by night and and it worked to just such great effect and and also it was so cool when just going back a couple weeks ago when this first dropped i was in avengers campus that weekend and there was werewolf, there was the werewolf right there in avengers campus and there were definitely some people who didn't know what it was yet because the series had just or the special had just come out and as we talked about before it didn't necessarily have uh, a huge run-up to it because it just got announced a few weeks before it came out. So not everybody in Avengers Campus that night knew exactly what they were looking at. But I also think that's really cool to create that intrigue. And as they get the answer to that question, they go watch something like this um, that is just not at all what they would have expected from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And for those who knew exactly what it was, whether they had watched Werewolf by Night or not yet, you know whether people saw it right away or people are, are finding it, as they're just going through and and looking for things to watch uh, as in scary stuff, as they're, if they're looking for, you know, spooky fun or in a, you know, scary kind of way or whatever it is that they're looking for, that this is something that they could find and really enjoy. And it's not at all what they would have expected from, you know, the most popular franchise going in the world at this point with the, uh, with the MCU, that it just expands the idea, continues to expand the idea of what MCU stories can be. And, And this was a really, really great one. And that is where we will wrap up this spoiler review of Werewolf by Night and also invite you to join us on Fanshow Plus, whether you find it via Patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts, because then you can hear us talk about, again, extra MCU stuff. But also, we're going to catch up midway through the season of Andor and share our thoughts on how the series has been going thus far so make sure you check that out and then follow us on twitter and instagram at mcu fan show please be sure to leave that rating review on apple Podcasts if you haven't already and if you have thank you paul where can they find you
1: you find me on twitter at herman 22 with two n's aka Thug. please go and subscribe to my youtube channel the comic binge we just uh Last week, we or a couple weeks ago, we just released a um, Black Adam kind of prep for you know for those who love superhero movies. Their Black Adam came out this weekend, and we did a, a little comic book prep for people who want to get stoked for that. And if you after the theater too, if you get stoked, there's lots of great material that Chris breaks down for you. And we just also did a, a fun little review of the Spider-Man comic book, uh, the short Halloween, which was written by Bill Hader and Seth Meyers from a while ago um they're a lot bigger now at least both, uh bill Hader is but uh it was a fun little fun little cute little book we all break down and have a go to the end because i i for all you batman fans i saved something juicy just for the end for you all so uh go check that out and uh yeah really appreciate it
0: i don't know i don't know I, i'm assuming that's some dig on the long halloween in, in which eh, in which case yes you, or no in which case i'll just reserve your right to be wrong um, but, uh, thank you again for everyone for listening. We, again, as always do appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me if you want to on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.